Hey church, it's good to see you here. It's great to be together. It's great to learn together. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Covenant Church. And uh, this, in these moments that we spend together, I'm gonna, bring a, uh, I'm gonna bring a message on prayer. We've been studying through the Beatitudes. We've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've come to the point that's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. It's 10 verses in Matthew 6. And what we've decided to do, what this week begins, is a four-week, four-part mini-series on the Lord's Prayer that we've titled Deeper Still. We thought it worthwhile coming to this point in the Sermon on the Mount to sort of bounce out of our normal What About series and to spend a little extra time on what Jesus teaches his disciples around prayer. I'm really excited to share what I've been learning. God's really been doing a work in my heart. I pray that it continues to do a work in your heart in these next few weeks that we spend uh, studying prayer and what that looks like to us as believers. One thing that has struck me or one thing that God has really pronounced through my studies in prayer is the idea of transformation, of transformation. God's word says that he is transforming us, that we are no longer to conform to worldly patterns or worldly thought and that he's transforming us to be more and more like Christ, to be more and more his church. In other words, rather than the world creeping in on the church, we become the church creeping in on the world. And this idea of transformation, what I'm finding as we study through the Sermon on the Mount, more often than not, God's not, or Jesus is not in his teaching. He's not giving so much of a a new word. It's just that he's opening it up to our hearts. He's, He's letting it blossom in our hearts so that we understand it in a new way, in a fresh way. That's what that idea of transformation is. Transformation is taking an old way of thinking and it's turning into something new. It's taking an old habit, it's taking an old routine, it's taking an old perspective and it's shifting it in a way that we understand it with fresh eyes. So the Sermon on the Mount is a shift in thinking. It's a removing of our old thinking and our old conformities mainly and it's taking on new thinking through transformation. As I study prayer, and I study my own prayer habits and my own prayer life, this has become very clear to me that God needs to take an old way of thinking and he needs to turn it into something new. I've I've shared before um, the story of Jesus when he goes into the temple and he sees that the temple is being used to sell goods, the temple is being used for, mer- by merchants. Um, it's being used as an epicenter of commerce. And he's disgusted and he's angered. The Bible says that he's, he's, he's enraged and he flips the tables in the temple. Because that wasn't the purpose of the temple of God. And Jesus knew that and he felt that to his core. And his response was to flip tables. I've often said that, that I feel like Jesus is flipping the tables of my heart. And this study for sure feels like Jesus is flipping some tables in my heart. Some things that I got, that some things that in my, my own temple that I've gotten wrong. And so he's doing almost like a decluttering of sorts. I pray that he does the same for you. That God starts flipping the tables of our heart. 
reprioritizing, realign, realigning our heart with his heart. I have to admit right out of the gate, I do not feel qualified to give this teaching today, this teaching on prayer. I do not feel qualified. I am a praying man, but I know that I'm not a prayerful man. I know that I don't pursue God in every area of my life. I'm not turning to God. I'm not considering God. I'm not running to God in all aspects of my life. I feel unqualified to teach this. Because the Bible is clear when it comes to this, right? It's clear into how, into the, the posture that we're supposed to have towards God. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Some translations say, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, submit to him, acknowledge him. In all your ways means, it, it, it doesn't just mean in all that you do. It, think of it almost like as in your travels, as you walk along, as you journey in faith. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I know that I don't do that. For the big things, for the small things, in the good times, in the difficult times, I don't acknowledge him. I don't acknowledge his presence. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is communion with God. It's worth it to say that, that prayer is only possible through the transforming, the life-changing power of the gospel. We, we can only commune with God because of, his, because of his grace towards us, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We're then able to commune with God. And that's what prayer is, communion with God. That just seems so simple. So I wrestle with the fact that it's so hard for me to do, to, to build, live a lifestyle of prayer, of communion with my God, walking along the way, in stride with his spirit, dwelling within me. Why then is it so difficult for me to build a lifestyle of prayer, every moment of blessing, and every moment of trial. What I just shared is really powerful because I know that any transformation, that any word that I hear from God, that any shift in perspective, any shift in thinking right now, it's not because of me. It's not because I'm some great well of wisdom, but it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit through the grace of God, the love of Jesus, the power of his spirit that I understand any of this. That's humbling. And I want you to know that too. I need to hear this message. I need to hear these words. I need to hear a word from God regarding prayer and what that looks like, just as much as any of you, if not more. 
So would you pray with me now as we ask God to bless this time that we spend together. Heavenly Father, we long for a word from you. God, we acknowledge your presence in our hearts. God, we acknowledge that, that we, there are things that we're just, we're just not thinking straight about. Even things within our own church, even things within the temple of our own hearts, God, that we got it wrong. And so, Lord, we invite you in all of your grace and your holiness. God, we invite you in, in, in all of your passion to come flip the tables of our heart. Show us where we've got it wrong. Bring us to our knees before you. God, give us a fresh perspective. One that we're able to then leave these moments together and see a bit clearer and understand a bit clearer what a life in communion with you looks like, God. So we invite you to do that in these moments, God. Soften our hearts. Make us vulnerable. Bring us to our knees. God, if we need to repent, God, I pray that if, if any one of us at any time in our time together feels that urge to repent, that they would just drop to their knees and surrender. God, I want to do the same. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the love of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace. So be with us now in our time together. Amen. So in considering a posture of prayer, which is what I've titled this sermon, in considering a posture of prayer, an attitude of prayer, what does that look like? I'm sure there, there's so much more than what I'm going to share with you today. But for me, there, there are three things that God has revealed to me through my time of study, and there are three things that I want to share with you. And the first is this, is that prayer is an opportunity. Prayer is an opportunity. Prayer is not an obligation. Prayer is not an act. Prayer is not something that we check off, that we've done at a certain point in time every day because that's what we do every day. Prayer should not be routine. Yes, it's, it's good to have scheduled times of prayer, but what I'm talking about when I say prayer is what Jesus is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount, which is heart issues, heart issues. We need to look at prayer as an opportunity. I need to look at prayer as an opportunity and not just an obligation. It's not an act. Prayer is something that we get to do, not something that we have to do. I pray that you remember that. That's something that someone shared with me quite a while ago. The idea of we get to do. We get to go to church. We don't have to go to church. We get to worship. We get to give. We get to pray. We get to commune with God because of Jesus' work on the cross. We stand in the presence of God. We can call out to our God. 
gift. We get to. We get to do these things. We don't have to. Look at verses 5 and 6 again in Matthew 6. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites, the, the, the Greek word that's translated into hypocrites literally means an actor. So don't be like an actor, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. He's referring to the, the spiritual leaders of that day, the Pharisees. And one commentary, uh, Lloyd-Jones commentary, says that as the Pharisees would be on their way to the temple to pray where everyone else was praying, they would stop at the street corners because they were so holy, they were so righteous, they couldn't even wait until they got to the temple that they would just stop on the street corner and start praying, look at me, look at how righteous I am so that they could be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. If what they want is to be seen by others, then they got their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, not the street corners, so that they could be seen by others. Seen by others. What is this talking about? What is this warning talking about? This warning is talking about pride. It's pride. Pride can get in the way of our prayer life. And we can look at that verse, and we, we see Jesus warning against the hypocrites and the spiritual leaders of that day. And we can th- see the, the pompous, pious leaders of that day dressed in their robes, their phylacteries on their foreheads. Their phylacteries were these little boxes that they'd keep all the scriptures. Look how, how much I know. They would literally wear their knowledge out in public. Look how much I know. Look how I can pray. We see the pride in that. And certainly there's, there's warning against that. In our heart, we need to remember that this isn't a prideful obligation. This isn't a check mark. We don't, we don't pray so that we can be seen as righteous. We get to pray because Jesus was righteous, the righteous one. We've been justified before God because of the righteous one. Pride gets in the way. I want to challenge you with something now. There's two ends of the spectrum. There's pride. Look at me, seen by others. That pious, pompous. We can do it because of what we want other people to think about us. Maybe we want other people to think. And deep down we know that we're just filthy rags. We know that we're sinners. We know that we're broken. But we want people to think that we're righteous. But pride can work on the other end of the spectrum too. Pride can creep in and get in the way. I think more often than not, this is the case We don't think of it as pride, but it really is pride. It's self-absorption. Pride can get in the way to the point where we can't get over ourselves. It's not that we want people to see us. It's that we don't want. We're too self-conscious. It's not that we want people to think things of us. It's that we're worried of what people will think. 
because I can't string together beautiful prayers, because I don't outwardly look righteous, I don't outwardly seem righteous. So pride can get in the way. We can just get so caught up in ourselves, not in over, not in um, self-indulgence or not in thinking too highly of ourselves, but we actually are self-conscious. We overthink it. We say, I can't pray. I can't pray. No, prayers, the pastors can pray. That may be challenging to somebody today, but I encourage you to lean into that because prayer is not an obligation, either one that we feel insufficient to, f- to fill or one that we feel we can just overfill, one that we think we, we got under control, one that we think we're worthy or righteous enough to pray. So pride can creep in in either of those areas. You can't overthink it. We got to get over ourselves. But we also, we can't think too highly of ourselves. One Bible commentary puts it like this. The public display of these religious practices or a concern to use the right formulas in performing them can easily be motivated by self-absorption and greed. That's a gospel transformation study Bible. We get overly concerned. When we, when we treat it as an obligation, we get overly concerned with either doing it, doing it well enough or we, or we become self-righteous. We, we, our hearts are saying, look, look what I'm doing. Look how righteous I am. We've got to be careful that prayer is not something that brings praise to ourselves. What does Jesus say in that passage again? He says, go to your room, shut your door and pray. Your father, who is in secret, will reward you. Many, many times Jesus retreated to pray. Jesus retreated to pray. And we should do the same. Now, does that mean we have to pray in isolation? Absolutely not. Jesus didn't always pray in isolation. There's 25 um, accounts of Jesus praying throughout the gospel. And I believe eight of them, about eight of them, start with he retreated to a mountainside or he retreated early in the morning. There are accounts of Jesus praying in public, giving thanks before feeding the 5,000. Giving thanks in public. So it doesn't mean that we have to pray in isolation. But if you read through that list of 25 prayers, you'll, you'll, you will often see that when Jesus prayed in public, when he prayed uh, before his baptism, when he prayed before he fed the 5,000, when he prayed in thanksgiving, before he raised Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead, he paused and he looked up. It says he lifted his eyes. I can see Jesus shutting the doors of his heart in secret, in public, but in secret, in that quiet place, communing with God, not concerned about how he looks or what other people think of him. So prayer is an opportunity. We need to treat it as an opportunity, not an obligation. The second is this, and this may be the hardest aspect of prayer for us, for us to grasp, but the, the second is this, that prayer is a conversation. Prayer is a conversation with God. Communing with God is a conversation 
with God. This is really tough. On so many levels, this is really hard for us to practice as Christians. And we need to remember again that our ability to commune with God is only made possible by the righteousness of Jesus, by his righteousness. So when we pray, when we enter into this conversation, we need to acknowledge that it only exists because of the righteousness of Christ. We're justified through Christ. We receive justification in Christ. That idea of justification, it changes our legal status before God. We are made righteous because of the finished and complete work of Christ. So prayer as a conversation starts first and foremost in acknowledging that communion with God is made possible through the righteousness of Christ. I can't emphasize that enough. Remember remember in verse 1 of chapter 6, as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount starts to shift towards spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware of practicing your righteousness. We don't enter into this on our righteousness. We enter into this conversation. We get to have this conversation because of Christ's righteousness. Conversation is one of the hardest aspects of prayer because one, we we like to talk a lot. And two, I don't think we're patient enough before the Lord. We can easily fill our prayer time with our own voice and with our own thoughts. We can talk a lot in that conversation. What we need to do is to listen. But let's talk about the talking. So prayer is a conversation. Prayer is our ability to commune with God, our ability to speak with God. So what does that look like? When we speak to God, we speak from our heart. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount, it's tackling heart issues. And here in prayer, Jesus is tackling heart issues. So our prayer is directed from a heart of surrender. It can be raw. It can be gritty. It can be messy. It doesn't have to be an eloquent, polished dialogue. Look again at Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Don't heap up empty phrases. Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't concerned with our many words. He's concerned with our heart. 
He wants to hear from our heart. He doesn't want to hear words. It doesn't have to be polished. This conversation, when we enter into this conversation through the righteousness of Christ, doesn't have to be some polished, eloquent string of words. We can come to God raw, messy, gritty. Thank God through the power of his Holy Spirit, the word says that the, that the Holy Spirit translates our emotion, our passion when we pray. God knows what we're asking for in the midst of our raw, gritty, messy prayers. He's not interested in our words. He's listening to our hearts. Our Father knows what we need before we even ask him. He just wants us to pour out our hearts. My second son, Elliot, he's got a heart. He's got a huge heart. He's not eloquent. He's not polished. He's raw, sometimes messy, but man, he pours it out. And me, as his father, being able to relate with him, being able to know what he's going through, I know what he needs. The second he starts bumbling over words, because I can hear his heart. God wants to hear our heart. He doesn't want empty phrases. In that, we need to guard our hearts, our prayer life, this conversation. We need to guard it against rote or repetition or routine. I, when I, in my own prayer life, if I find myself slipping into the same cadence, the same language, the same form in my prayer, not to say that that's a bad thing, but if my heart starts slipping into routine, repetition, a flag goes up for me. Where's the heart of my prayer as, as I'm doing this? Am I looking to just string together? Am I communicating from my heart? Am I entering this conversation from my heart? Am I pouring it out there, gritty, messy, because this verse tells us that God has the capacity to hear that. So this conversation needs to be open. It's to be honest. Do not worry about heaping up empty phrases. God's not concerned with your words. He's concerned with your heart. He's not listening to your words. He's listening to your heart. And the second is that this patience in prayer as well. We need to have patience to listen. When we share, we need to have the patience to pause, to listen as well. As we align our hearts with the heart of God, we begin to listen. Or I think it like this. When I'm walking in stride with the Spirit, when I'm aligning my heart with God's heart, 
It has less to do with me taking the time to listen and more to do with God's voice just overpowering all of the noise of life. If you want to listen to God, then be with God. If I enter into a conversation of prayer and I just fill it with words and then I move on to my next where I got to go or what I got to do and I leave God behind, I'm not going to hear from him. But there's benefit in taking time in your prayer life to pause in stillness and quiet to align your heart with God's heart. But you also need to continue that in all your ways, right? As you journey through life, continue to commune with God. Be patient. Listen. Our empty phrases can turn things into a one-way conversation. We need to remember to listen, to take the time to listen. And when you pause in those moments, posture your heart in this way. Think of it as an alignment of wills. When we pause in the quietness of prayer, when we share the gritty, the messy, what we're asking God is, help me to understand your will. Help me to understand how this all lines up in your will. Help me to see your perspective as far as what's going on because I've already poured out what I'm feeling. But it's an alignment of wills. So when we pause in those moments, think of it as that. Wait patiently to hear from God. But ask God to align your heart with his. An alignment of his will. An alignment to God's will. One of the times Jesus prayed was in in Matthew 26 where he aligned his heart with God's heart. And that, that brings me to the third, the last posture of prayer is this, is that prayer is passionate. Prayer is passionate. In Matthew 26, very night Jesus was betrayed. Jesus prayed. In verse 39 it says, and going a little farther he fell on his face and prayed. Jesus fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. An alignment of wills. Jesus' passionate prayer in the garden before the night he was betrayed before he was betrayed, before he was arrested, before he was beaten, mocked, bloodied, tortured, and killed. This was Jesus' prayer. Let this cup pass for me, not but not as I will, as you will, in alignment of wills. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus was in such agony during this prayer 
that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In agony, passionate prayer, he's aligning his heart with God's heart. He's pursuing that alignment. This is a passion that needs to be shared by all of us as believers. I was recently asked, what is is a practical way for somebody to increase their prayer life? What is a practical way that we can share with somebody to help them engage in prayer more in their walk with God? As I thought about it, I answered, we need to get passionate about prayer. How do you pray more? How do you desire to pray more? How do I get to the point where my life is built upon prayer, where I I want to pursue God, I want to commune God in every aspect of my life along the way? We need to get passionate about prayer. That same agony when translation says that Jesus prayed in anguish. The Bible is full of passionate prayers, passionate, prayerful people. What was Nehemiah's response when he heard that the nation of Jerusalem lay in ruins? Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. For some days, mourned, fasted, prayed. Gosh, I read this verse and I think, when have I, for days, mourned and fasted and prayed for the lives of my children, for the lives of my boys? I got a big family. Often I interpret scripture through that. When was the last time, for days I mourned, Psalm 63, 1, oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Can you feel that as you read that? Can you feel the passion oozing from these words? Don't let this just sit as black and white text. They're communicating passionate prayers. And Habakkuk, I love this one. Habakkuk 1, the, 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 the book of Habakkuk starts with him crying out to God, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? That's a gritty prayer. He's pouring his heart out. How long? Why don't you hear me? God has the capacity to hear those prayers. That's straight from the word of God. God has the capacity to hear those prayers. These prayers are dripping with passion. In John 11, Jesus hears that Lazarus, Lazarus, his, his dear friend Lazarus, had died. He goes to the tomb where his friend lay. It says in the Bible, shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. He wept. He didn't shed a tear. He wept. 
he broke down. Passion. And Jesus prays a prayer. It says that he lifted his eyes. He prays a prayer of thanksgiving to God for hearing him. For hearing his passion. He says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Raises Lazarus from the dead. David Wilkerson, the founder of Times Square Church, founder of Teen Challenge, once said this in one of his sermons. He said, all true passion is born out of anguish. I believe that. I believe that. All true passion is born out of anguish. If we can stir in ourselves a longing for our family, a longing for our oikos, a longing for the people that God has placed in our lives, a longing, agony, passion, anguish, for God to hear our prayers for these people, for ourselves. I believe that passion is going to stir in us lives that shift from thinking that we have to pray to lives where we we say, how can I not? How can I not pray? How can I not fall to my knees? We know God with such passion. We need to pray with that same passion. And, And we cannot say, we cannot say that we can't get passionate about prayer. We are passionate. We are passionate people. We can get passionate about other things. We can get passionate about technologies. My, my boys just got me a smoker for Father's Day. I could get passionate about smoking meats. We could get passionate about sports teams. If you are going to bear the name Christian, then you better get passionate about Christ. Otherwise, why are you wearing the jersey? If I were to call in, if I were to call into a sports talk radio program and tell them that I was a die-hard Patriots fan, but that I only caught, you know, half of the games, I don't keep up with the draft, I don't keep up with the stats. They'd say, get out of here. If you're going to say that you're a Christian, then you best, you should be passionate about Christ. Otherwise, God needs to do a work in your heart. I'm telling you, I say those words and they come right back into my ears. Chris, if you are going to be calling yourself a Christian, then you better get passionate about Christ. Passionate about prayer. We need to be passionate for the people we pray for. We need our prayers to be worship. Prayers should be passionate worship. 
a response to who God is, to all that he is doing. If you want to pray more, get passionate about it. Identify with it. Take up your cross. Associate associate yourself with the person of Jesus Christ. Learn from him. Spend time with him. Consider him. And all that you do, when, when his heart is breaking, let your heart break. When his heart is moving, let your heart move. Be passionate. Be passionate. So a posture of prayer. We need to remember that prayer is an opportunity. Not an obligation. Prayer is a conversation. It's not just one way. It involves listening. And prayer is passionate. Prayer is filled with passion. I know I said in, at the start that there's, there's, I'm sure there's so much more. And there, there may be more that God is teaching you that God is revealing to you in these moments. And I would, I would ask that you would share those things with me because these three points are not it. These three points were something that I really needed to hear. And I pray that you needed to hear it as well. Prayer is an opportunity. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is passionate. This past, uh, a couple weeks ago, we got a message through the church from a woman who had attended here a while back when she was a teenager. And she was reaching out because she hit a point in her journey where she knew she needed to come back to God. God was calling her back. She had wandered off path. She had strayed away. She had made choices she wasn't proud of. But in her heart, she knew where she needed to go. So I called this woman. She began to share, and she said she she wanted to ask Jesus into her heart because that was the the next step that she had thought of, that she she thought she needed to do as part of the process. But I encouraged her, after listening to her story, I encouraged her that that, um, she she had already professed Faith in God, belief in Jesus. I was able to tell her that, that she didn't need to pray that because God had been with her. She just needed to turn back. She was looking to say a specific prayer with specific um, set of words, set of phrases so that she could be made right before God. I shared with her that, that in, in, through Jesus' right, righteousness, God had been with her the whole time. So it changed. She said, I don't, I don't need to pray that. I said, no, you, you don't. But would you want to pray now? 
She was nervous at first. There was a long pause. I said, if, if you, you know, stumble, if you get stuck, then, then I, can, I can pray along with you if you'd like. I can help you. She said, no, no. I can do this. I want to pray. She prayed one of the sweetest prayers. She understood the opportunity. She understood the relationship. She understood that God had been with her the entire time. She didn't string together these eloquent phrases. She just shared from her heart the truth that she knew. She repented. I could hear her in her voice. I could hear the passion behind it. And the joy in in knowing that there was this opportunity to converse with God passionately and that he hears. That's prayer. That's prayer. She ministered to me in those moments. That's prayer. That's what I want my prayer life to look like as well. I pray the same for you. I really do. Let's journey through this mini-series together these next few weeks as we learn more and more. Let's keep those three perspectives in mind, but let's also open up our hearts to be transformed. And we look forward to how God's going to use these moments to grow each one of us and to grow his church. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word, through your spirit. God, we're humbled. We're humbled in knowing that the almighty God, creator of the universe, You make yourself so accessible to us out of pure grace and love, compassion. Oh God, you're worthy of so much more than we could ever give. That same humility, God, we are empowered. We are empowered to be ministers and witnesses of your kingdom here on earth. Just as Jesus taught, we want to see your kingdom here on earth, God. So continue to teach us, transform us into more and more of the likeness of Christ that we can be kingdom people here on earth. God, continue to enrich our prayer life. Continue to give us fresh perspective on what gospel-centered, yearning, honest, passionate prayer looks like. Continue to lead us into that. Build that into our hearts. Build that into our lives. From this moment forward, God, we're so thankful. We love you. And we pray these things through the power, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.